Hello everyone, I'm Pastor Rick Hawkins of Quest Church in Norman, Oklahoma. I want to thank you all for joining us today. This podcast is going to be informative, insightful, and inspirational for your life. Listen every week because we'll have a special word just for you. Well, Pastor Josh started our series last week, and I know you enjoyed the message as he preached on one word, bond. And we said when we started this a few weeks ago that a team, a family, a church that does not bond cannot build. If you cannot bond, you cannot build. The Lord brought me to Psalm 127 this morning. And verse 1, except the Lord build the house, they that labor, labor in vain. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman wakes, but in vain. It is in vain for you to rise up. It is vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late and to worry about tornadoes. I'm sorry, that was not in there. To eat the bread of sorrows, for he gives his beloved sleep. I'm holding that promise tonight. Children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. I'm going to preach a message today entitled, It's Time to Build. Look at about three people around you and say those words, it's time to build. Would you lift your hands toward heaven now? Father, I pray you remove burdens today, that the anointing is here that will remove a burden. The anointing is here that will break a yoke. The anointing is here that will lead us and guide us into truth. And when we arrive at truth, that is where we are made free. So we ask you to help the preacher to preach things he didn't study to say and help the people to hear things that the preacher does not say. Speak in this building. We surrender our life to you. We give you this service for you to do exactly what you want to do, for you to accomplish exactly what you want to accomplish. I speak encouragement to the heart of your people that everything is going to be all right in Jesus' name. Now the Bible says, clap your hands, all ye people, and shout to God with a voice of triumph. Can you do what the Bible says today? Hallelujah. High five somebody and tell them it's on in the building right now. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Who are the builders? The Bible says children are the heritage of the Lord. The word children here in Hebrew literally means means the builders of the family name. The builders of the family name. When I was thinking about that and praying, I felt that the children are those that are with you and they are a part of you. It's the ones that desire to build and not tear down. And I heard God say, find them, find those that want to build, impart to them and teach them how to build. As we look 
in our nation today in regards to spirituality, we face some great challenges. But in the midst of all the philosophical ideologies that are being passed down through places of academia, we have discovered that Joel the prophet said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit. That in universities now across this nation, suddenly there's a pouring out of the spirit of God from Lee University to Texas A&M to Baylor, all across this nation, especially at Asbury College. There's an ongoing revival, and I know you've read about it, and I know you've seen it. It's even been on Fox News. And I like the idea that Fox News called them and asked them, could they come and interview? And the school told them no, because they didn't want to draw that kind of attention. And I thought that was very powerful because they do not want a man to be noticed. They don't want it to be about a personality or a formula or a method. It's just about availability. It's just about yielding. It's just about worship. It's just about praise. More than anything, it's about a visitation from heaven itself. It's when heaven touches earth. It's when God's presence shows up not being omnipresent, but being manifested, tangible presence of God. And I don't know about you all, but I'm glad that I serve a God that I can feel. Can anybody feel God? I am glad that when we worship and praise him, his word promises us that he inhabits the praises of his people. And that tells me the premises that all presence is built on is praise. In other words, if you want to experience the presence of God, you have to give him praise. Give him something to inhabit. I'm going to ask you to lift your hands and begin to praise him right now. Bless your name, Lord. Bless your name, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Bless your name, Jesus. I've seen some of your responses to Asbury on Facebook. Some of you have made statements like, this is what we desire. This is what we really want. This is what we really need. If you really want it and you feel like you really need it, then there ain't nobody that can do it for you but you. If you want it, you're going to have it. If you desire it, you're going to experience it. The presence of God being tangible in every service is not up to the pulpit. It's not up to the platform. It's not up to the musicians and the praise team. It's up to the people. Look at your neighbor and ask them, how bad do you want it? The idea of building, I told Josh this morning, I said, Josh, building is from Genesis to Revelation. 
In essence, the Bible is a book of building. From Genesis chapter number 2 to Revelation 22, the Bible is a book of building. From Moses building a tabernacle with instructions given by God down to the very detail on how to carve a flower into a piece of wood. I hope you hear me today. I'm thinking about Zerubbabel rebuilding the temple and how important Ezra was as a scribe as he wrote out the dialogue and the determination and instruction on how to build the temple. And the Bible says in Ezra chapter 6 that they built despite the fear that they felt. And sometimes you have to build in the face of fear. You have to build in the face of circumstance. Paul wrote the church at Corinth and he said, practice the art of being a master builder. Not just any kind of builder building anything, but be very precise about the purpose of God in your life and learn how to build. And I prayed about it and I said, Lord, I would love to preach from the book of Nehemiah today and tell these people that the wall was not built until there was an intrinsic motivation that happened in the hearts of the people when Nehemiah said, let us rise up and build. And Pastor Josh said it so precisely last week that it's not about you, it's about we. It's not about I, it's about us. And when there's a congregation or a community of believers that set their heart to build, you become very much like the people in Genesis chapter 11 that impressed God. When God told all of heaven, he summoned all of heaven and said, let us go down to see what they are building. And they were building a tower to heaven and God had to confuse their language because they were so in unity. They were so in harmony that God said anything that they imagine themselves to build, they can build it because they're building with one heart, with one language, with one mind. Good God have mercy. If we could ever get a people to speak the same thing, to carry the same kind of heart of love, to walk in unity and not division, to walk in purpose and not polarization, there's nothing that we set our heart to do that we cannot do. There's nothing that we desire to build that we cannot build, but we have to build it for the right reason. And God told me plainly, you are not to preach on any of those things. I have been up since 2.30 this morning praying for you. And the Lord said, do not tell them how to build. Tell each one how to build. And the Lord brought me to Luke chapter 6. And as I was reading it, I was reminded of what happened in Turkey just a few weeks ago. And now we're finding out over 40,000 people have died because of an earthquake. But not just because of an earthquake, but because the builders refused to follow code. I hope you hear me. 
The builders refused to follow code. And because of their refusal, lives were lost. You don't know the destruction you could bring on your life when you refuse to build according to God's code. Where's his code found, Pastor Rick? I'm going to go old school on you and tell you in the B-I-B-L-E. It's still in the Bible. It's still in the Word. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the last thing Jesus says. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do the things I say? Whoever comes to me, whoever what? Comes to me. Not who I go after. Whoever comes to me, that's strong. And here's my sayings and does them. I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house and digged deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose and the stream, beat, the, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it. Why? For it was founded on the rock. But he that hears and does not is like a man that without a foundation built a house on earth against which the stream did beat vehemently and it immediately fell. And the ruin of that house was great. You have heard a hundred messages from this passage of scripture. But today you're going to hear it like you've never heard it. First of all, I'm going to preach it to you like you are familiar with. Then the Holy Ghost is going to jerk us in second gear. And you're going to get a revelation about this that you've never seen. You've heard it preached like this. Both had a vision to build a house. Both of them had a vision to build a house. Both built a house that they thought would last. Both built in the same location. Both faced the same storm. Both faced the same storm. The difference is this. It's very simple. One had a foundation. One did not. Come on, Holy Ghost. They both faced the same storm. One had foundation. The other one did not. The parable is one that describes to us not just the importance of what we build, but how we build. It's very easy to surmise that the foolish builder failed to build a foundation to secure his house.
He had no foundation. He built on sand and he did not build on the rock. Simple enough for you? Yes. But I want you to consider the wise builder. Because every preacher preaches to you what the foolish builder did wrong. And sometimes we can focus so much of our study on things that we shouldn't do that we forget to remember the things we should do. And this parable to me is really all about obedience. It's not just about hearing, it's about doing. Both heard, one did, and one did not. I'm going to say it again. Both heard, one did, and one did not. The Bible says he's like a man that built a house, and number one, you never hear this preached on, he digged deep. There's something about depth. There's something about depth. <laughs> Jesus tells a parable of seed that fell on shallow ground. <laughs> Jesus tells a parable about seed that fell on the wayside. But then he talked about seed that was planted in fallow or fertile ground, and it was planted deep. My opinion is we live in a time where nobody wants to go deep. If you can keep it superficial, you call it simple. The Bible says this man digged Deep. I remember being in New York City and I saw a whole block of the city closed. And I said unto the man I was with, what are they doing there? And he said, they're building. I said, I don't see anything coming up. He says, let's walk over there and see what's going on. And when we got to the area, we peered over the tape. And we looked down in a hole that we could not find the bottom of. And he said something to me very profound. If you want to go high, talk back to me. Then you've got to dig deep. I don't know about you all, but I'm tired of dealing with shallow Christians. That you just say a little bit of something and they get their feelings hurt. You don't shake their hand and they're ready to leave the church. We've got to dig deeper. And when you look, speaking of digging deeper, at the etymology, and not just the etymology, but the exegesis of what Jesus is stating. Don't lose me in that terminology. Stay with me. Because we're going to dig for a minute. He digged deep. This definition in the Greek has this cumulative idea to it that the word has to be attached to a particle or a smaller word for that word to reach its fullest definition oh lord have mercy so when jesus says that he digged deep it could read like this 
And the man, he digged. And he digged. He also digged. But he digged. He even digged. He so digged. He then digged. And yet he digged. Ask your neighbor, can you dig it? The problem is we ain't even started. The word begin is strong because it has to do with in Hebrew, bearisheth, beginning. To begin something is to have the intention to open it up. Most of us have not even started to dig. And you wonder why when any wind of adversity blows on you and your husband, that you feel like a divorce is going to happen tomorrow because your marriage is not being built. I just alley-ooped y'all right there. See, why doesn't people want to dig? And I'm going to work this for a minute. Because digging takes effort. And effort takes energy. And too many people are too tired. When you are digging, you are always discovering something new. If you want to go deep, you have to dig deep. Ephraim, the prophet says, shall be a heifer, but Judah shall plow deep. Judah means pray. Some of you are wondering, why can I receive revelation from God? Because you won't give God the praise he's asking for. I cannot manipulate you to do that. I cannot fab fabricate an idea that would cause you to be inspired to do that. Your praise belongs to you. Your expression is all up to you as well. But I know what praise is not. It's not silent. Judah means praise. Oh, that God would raise up a loud people. Oh, that God would raise up a people that are not ashamed to lift their voice and lift their hands in praise. You say, Pastor Rick, is that digging deep all that necessary? Can I submit to you this idea that when God found you, he had to dig deep. Can you show me that in the Bible, Pastor Rick? Certainly I can. Isaiah 51 verse 1 says, Hearken to me, you that follow after righteousness, and you that seek the Lord. Look unto the rock which you are hewn, and look to the quarry from which you were digged out. Even God himself had to fight through addictions. He had to fight through generational curses. He had to fight through your opinion, your philosophy, your religion, your ideas about him. He had to fight through all that just to get you. And God is a wonderful excavator. I don't know what he did through to get to you, but I know what he did through to get to me. 
A whole lot of alcohol, a whole lot of pride, a whole lot of anger, a whole lot of bitterness, a whole lot of sin. But he kept digging and he kept reaching and he kept digging till he found me. I didn't find him. He was never lost. He found me. And he dug me. He said, look to the quarry from which you were digged out. I'll tell you how you can get that praise going. Just look at where you could be. Look at where you should be. But God showed up and he saved you. That'll make you want to thank him. Until a man digs deep, he never fully understands the potential that God deposited inside of him. Deep men tap into potential. Not shallow men. Narrow thinkers cause big problems. Big thinkers discover great potential. Until you dig deep, you will never grasp the full efficacy of God's promises to you personally. The promises of God are given to you to hold on to. This generation must learn to dig. We haven't taught you in church to dig. The way I came up was you pray until, not until you're tired. I grew up in them churches that had all night prayer meetings, which meant you start praying at seven at night, and you don't stop praying until the sun comes up the next day. We called it tarrying. Now I look at it and realize we was digging for something. Today, you just name it and call it and decree it and it's yours. There ain't nobody taught you to cry in your corner of your bedroom till your tears were like hot syrup running down your face and there was an agony in your belly and there was sorrow in your soul until you got a breakthrough in your life and until that son was delivered from drugs and until that nephew was set free from an addiction, you prayed until it happened. That's digging deep. And I'm reminded of Isaac and how that Isaac was dead set to find out what was in his daddy's wells. Abraham, his father, had dug wells and the enemy had closed those wells up. But Genesis 20, can I preach this whole word? 26, 18 says, and Isaac digged again. Some of you need to start digging again. And the Bible says he digged the wells of water that his father digged. <laughs> you can't dig after a father that never dug. If you want to leave an example, I had my son call me two days ago. Lord, help me from getting emotional. And he said, Dad, I'm not calling you for anything. I said, well, what do you want, son? He said, I need to tell you something. I said, what is it? He said, two words, thank you. I said, Dustin, what are you talking about? He said, for every morning, that I woke up to go to school and I had to literally trip over you as you was kneeling outside my bedroom door calling my name out to God. I don't know the times, Dad, that 
I saw you at your desk before computers were anything and you had 20 books scattered all over your desk and you were digging for a nugget of truth to share with the people that would set them free. Oh God, what has happened to us that we can find a scripture at the push of a button and we don't have to dig no more to find anything. But until the people of God get a desperation for a flow from God, we will never dig what the generations before us dug in order to experience the revival that they enjoyed. I need to know if there's any daddies in this building that are ready to fall out on your face and call on God until you wake your babies up. Until you wake your wife up in your prayer. Whew. He digged deep. He digged deep. I said the other day on a Facebook post, now I'm going to go ahead and wear this out. That preachers should not be practicing plagiarism. You say, what is that, Pastor Rick? It's using someone else's work and study for yourself and calling it your own. You didn't pray over that word. You didn't dig down in there and find that word. If you're going to do it, at least you could say, I got this from that preacher. Y'all getting quiet on me now. Because you, as the people of God, don't know what preachers of God go through to get one word for a Sunday morning. I do not buy sermons from a book. I do not believe in buying sermons from a book. I believe in getting in my office on my knees and praying the Holy Ghost till God says you preach that word. That's what you call digging. And you only have two people in the world. Those that dig and those that live off of those that dug. The key to this man is Jesus said he digged deep. Huh. Whew. My daddy used to call a shovel a misery spoon. And he would tell me, Ricky, go get the misery spoon. And I knew he meant shovel because that meant we're fitting to get some blisters on our hands and we're fixing to go to digging. If you could just see that in the spirit, if you could just see that in the spirit that your daddy says get your shovel. If you want to go high, dig deep. Praise at a level you've never praised. Worship at an intimate place you've never worshipped before. Study that Bible till your eyes get tired of reading. Pray until you lose your voice. Pastor, does it take all that? Absolutely it does. You don't dig deep by looking at the shovel. I'm trying. He says that the man digged deep. And laid the foundation. If the foundations be destroyed. Psalm 11 verse 3. How much time I have there Pastor Josh. How much time I have left. Seriously. What, how much. Because I done forgot when we quit. If the, found, if the foundations be destroyed. What shall the righteous do. Psalm 11 
Verse 3, he digged deep and he laid a foundation. He didn't lay a foundation and then dig deep. In order to lay a foundation, you have to dig. He laid a foundation. What shall the righteous do if the foundations be destroyed? History is introducing to us a new space of time. We've never seen people so hungry to destroy history. All history is not good history, but you cannot erase history. If you could, you would take certain chapters out of your own life. But guess what you can't do? You can't remove that season that you were an addict, that you went through a divorce. It's in your book, face it. You've never seen a generation that is set against foundations more than this one. Everything is questioned. And that's fine if the quest sends you in the direction of true deity. But if the direction you're looking for, you are pursuing it for your own self-satisfaction, then your pursuit is in vain. I thought I would get a better amen than that, but that's all right. I understand y'all live in the Bible Belt. There's anything being attacked in this generation, it's foundations. And you don't just see it in government. You don't just see it in politics. You see it in church. How can we have church and have less services? How can we get our services down to 45 minutes so the people will be happy? It's all about placating people. It's nothing about pursuing his presence. Because if you're going to pursue his presence, you're going to have to dig and work for it. But if you're going to placate people, I can come in here and give you a motivational speech. You'll stand up and clap your hands, and you'll go and start applying these little principles and practicalities that I've given you, thinking you're going to be different. No, it changed your mind. It did not change your heart. Because only the presence of God can change a man's heart. A man can change his habits, but only God can change a man's nature. You can't pour a foundation while it's raining. Preach on, Pastor Rick. If you're going to pour a foundation, you need to either pour it before the storm gets here or after the storm leaves. But you can't pour a foundation while the storm is going on. Come back to me, all of you that just left me. Come back to me. Come back to me. I'm just talking to you about returning to the basis of your serving God. That's all. I didn't touch your politics. You believe what you won't believe. I don't care. I'm here to deal with how you serve God, not how you serve government. So I'm, I'm here to tell you, you better get back to your first love. And the first love was a passionate fire about serving Jesus that nothing interrupted. You can't pour a foundation while it's storming. And you never really know, you never really know what a person has built on until the storm arrives. I don't know what you're made of until I see you go through hell. 
I don't know where you built your stuff at until I see a storm that has the capability of destroying you and it does not. Then I know you are master builder. Shall I quit? Will you allow me the opportunity to give you my final point of this message? I dare you to look at three people and tell them, wake up, builder. 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 I was looking at little Jamie this morning. I was thinking about him in my house. My little nephew. He's my little grand, great, grand, great, great, grand, something like that, nephew. And I was looking at River when I left, and River's got a thing right now. And his thing right now is dump trucks and excavators. And he doesn't really say excavators. He says, Dad, excavate. He's saying excavator, but he can't get it all out, Vicky. You know what I'm saying? So he points to it like, get my excavator, and he calls it excavate. And I was thinking, River's got a thing for moving dirt. Y'all ain't hearing me. And I thought, man, I'm proud my son ain't playing with Barbie dolls right now. I don't want to offend you if your boy likes Barbie dolls. But I was just thankful that he wants to get a little dirt under his nails. And when he plays in his sandbox, he cries when he has to leave. Because he wants to be dirty. And he wants to get that excavator and he wants to scoop up that dirt. And when I saw that, this whole message was born in me. And then I heard the Lord tell me, you are building him. I said, what, Lord? He said, you are building that boy. Whatever you allow, whatever you permit is what you will experience. Whatever you prohibit is what you will enjoy. Y'all didn't hear that. And I thought to myself, Lord God, make that boy a man's man. I'm going to lose you now because I know, you know, everybody's about that whole transgender deal. Y'all go on and enjoy that. But I want a man in my house. I don't even care if he gets a tattoo. I just want a man in my house. I want him to be a builder. I want him to see his daddy working in the dirt. Talk back to me. He laid the foundation on a rock. Where did he lay his foundation? On a rock. Where did he lay his foundation? On a rock. He laid the foundation on a rock. Oh, that's powerful. When I saw that Isaiah this morning, I fell out my chair on my knees and I lifted my hand. And you know what I prayed? This right here. Hear my cry, oh God. Attend unto my prayer. Have y'all ever been at wit's end? Watch how he prays. From the end of the earth, I cried to you. When my heart was overwhelmed, 
Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. You know what my prayer is for all of you today? That you have a rock in your life. A rock called Jesus Christ who is immovable. He is not changeable. He is immutable. Are y'all hearing me tell you that when you don't have nowhere else to go, you better have a rock that you built your whole life on and that rock better be called Jesus Christ. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and he heard my cry. Psalm 40 verse 2, he brought me up out of the horrible pit and out of the clay and he set my feet upon a rock and he established my goings. Psalm 62 verse 5, my soul waits on you, God, for my expectation is from you. You only are my rock and my salvation. In God is my salvation, my glory, the rock of my strength. My refuge is in God. I don't know where people turn to that do not have Jesus in their life. Because everything else in this world is fluid. Everything else in this world is vapor. The only thing that is galvanized, resolute, real, authentic, and genuine is Jesus Christ himself. And if you will get real enough with, with him to tell him, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to make it without you. He'll be the rock for you in the midst of your storm. He will be your refuge. He will be your fortress. He will be your strength. He will be the rock that you can build your entire life on. If anybody in here knows him as the rock of your salvation, you look back over your life and realize I've had a rock with me from the day I accepted Jesus in my heart, I had stability. I had security. I had one thing that was immovable. People left. Things changed. Money walked out. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the rock of my salvation. And the flood rose. And the stream beat vehemently on that house, but could not shake it. For it was founded. For it was what? Founded on the rock. I dare you to study. Because the flood arose. Do the Greek study. It means something that fills you up and leads you by influence. You better be careful who you are allowing to influence your life. Now we ain't talking about water. We're talking about voices. And if there's ever been a flood of voices, it's now. And beat vehemently against that house. Study it again. It means with the intent to break it, to wreck it, to crack it, to shatter it to pieces. Let me help you. Your storm has an intention. I'm going to say it again. Your storm has an intention. When a storm shows up in your life, it doesn't show up to pat you on the back. The storm doesn't show up just to see how you're doing. When a storm shows up, it shows up with an intention to completely destroy you. A storm of disease 
a storm of sickness, it will show up to obliterate you. That's the intention. But it could not shake the house. Oh, I wish you would study it. It means the house did not even go into a tremor. It did not waver. It didn't even agitate the house. It didn't topple the house. It didn't throw the house into fear because the house was built on the rock. Why did Jesus put emphasis on the man that built his house on the rock? The man was wise because he anticipated the storm can reach me. So I better build right. The storm can reach me. I better build right. He emphasized him because it was built in the right place, but that did not eliminate it from going through the storm. It was built in the right way, Tony, but it didn't eliminate it from facing the storm. You can be in the right place, built the right way, and convince yourself the storm is never going to get to me. I don't care where you build. The storm's going to find you. Keep preaching, Pastor. But because it was built in the right place, it survived the storm. Because it was built in the right way, it survived the storm. I don't care how you build, where you build, or what you build. It does not mean a storm's not showing up at your front door. It's coming. But because you built the right way, because you built in the right place, when the storm shows up, you survive. Your windows may be knocked out. Talk back to me. But the house is still there. Your shingles may be knocked off. But the house is still there. The barn might be gone. But the house is still there. There may be some livestock missing. But the house is still there. You may lose some things and lose some people. But you are still there. Because you built right. Give Jesus your heart. Give Jesus your life. Give Jesus your heart. Give Jesus your life. And build your house on Jesus Christ. Let's all stand and lift those hands, please.